Day and welcome to the Pandemi Show. Stories of the Pandemi for people living in the Pandemi. No one is alone on the Pandemi Show. Thanks for joining us as we unite humanity through stories of hope, connection, and community in the face of the global pandemic. We are all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Thanks for taking a moment to like, subscribe, and follow the Pandemi Show on social media. We're jumping across the border between Southern Ontario and the United States of America with our guest today in Buffalo. Who are you? This is KLP, but you know me as Christy Lee Welly. It's nice to have you with me again on the microphones, but you're leading it this time. And that's what a turntable does. It just goes round and round. (laughs) And for the people of the pandemic, KLP was a broadcaster on the Waterloo Moraine in the Grand River watershed in Waterloo, Ontario for many, many years. And you were kind enough to take me under your wing and teach me poetry and kindness and interview skills. I remember the time you were interviewing Sarah Harmer. I believe it was her Escarpment Blues album. And uh, you let me sit in on that. And that was just magical. And I hope at the end of our talk here today on the Pandemic Show, (laughs) I'll be able to recite for you Pandemic Blossom, inspired by Sarah Harmer. Yes. I would be so happy if we had time for that today. Wonderful. I am conducting this interview (laughs) on the traditional territory of the Chanonk Tun, the keepers of the deer, and the Haudenosaunee and the Anishinaabe on the Upper Canada uh, Treaty. Yeah. You are in another country. And can you tell us what was your life like pre-pandemic in Buffalo? Pre-pandemic in Buffalo, what brought me here uh, was my my bear. My husband is a Buffalo native. And it actually worked out because my family's all in the Niagara region. My friends are here. It was one of those things where I wanted to bring... I wanted a new adventure after my our Waterloo years together. I was almost in Waterloo for almost 20 years. Then I moved here because I, it was time for me when, when Bear and I started talking about who's going to move where. We both, of course, love Canada. I'm going to be absolutely honest. I had my reservations about moving to America. And at that time, it was the, the Trump administration was coming in. So already my immigration process was that much more challenging and heart just heart-wrenching because you had no idea what that administration was going to do for the for the borders because that was such a hot plat- platform for him at that time. There was a lot of uncertainty. So yes. you found happiness. I you did. decided to you just your family decided to set up permanent uh shop camp in, in Buffalo. Yeah. A great town. A great yeah. town to visit to watch the Leafs beat the Sabres. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing brings me more joy. <laughs> You're working in Buffalo. Your yes. husband's working in Buffalo. Yes. The pandemic strikes. How did your yes. life change in Buffalo? My work in my everyday life is in nonprofit social services. And, you know, of course, you know, traditionally, you know, being from Canada and that collective healthcare system, it was already a shock pre-pandemic to learn the American healthcare system where it is 
pay for service. You have to have specific medical insurance uh, and it's checked prior to actually receiving any healthcare. You know, in most cases there are, I have to say there are hospitals and there are um, medical providers that are, you know, in a way by the state mandated to serve anyone that comes to their doors. But in general, to see a completely different healthcare system during a global pandemic, the shock, the culture shock, even though it's not like Buffalo and Canada are that far away from each other, but I couldn't believe the different worlds and how it was responding and the resources at the time as well, too. The for-profit model of the American system really does kind of explain the horrible amount of money that it consumes. It's sad that in Ontario, the trends are now that there's been so much medical issues deferred because of the pandemic and whatnot. Yes. More people and the lineups are getting longer for public health care that it's almost like we've got a quasi private system because people are so worried about their health. They're going to private clinics because they're much quicker to get into. It seems the difference is getting smaller every year. Right. I I struggle because I, you know, now being in a, in a, in a per se for-profit healthcare system versus what I grew up with, and what I'm passionate about, which is, you know, the common good. It's interesting to see, you know, the individual viewpoint and how diverse that viewpoint is and how much contempt it's brought with the, with the pandemic. It used to be a time where you and I could have a conversation. We might not agree, but there's still a common respect, but there's not this need to say, well, I have to, you have to believe, or you have to, uh, what I'm saying is the most accurate and you have to believe what I believe. And if you don't, well, then I don't like you and I don't respect your values. You there's, know, there's been a lot of conflict among people yes. with different perspectives. Yes. And and hopefully we're going to have a, a renaissance of civility. And I hope so. Maybe yeah. it's darkest before the light and the conflict between because it does appear that in the middle of December. 2021 there's a bright light at the end of this pandemic tunnel the vaccine seems to be holding the line in terms of keeping numbers down of serious health problems so there's so many positives we're in a much more positive situation than we were a year ago this time hopefully the civility is going to come back as people can kind of breathe now sure there's huge issues around vaccine inequality around the world and whether yes. or not people should be getting a triple dose when so many people haven't had one dose. But what's it been like working in social services in Buffalo uh, during right. this pandemic? Right. The interesting part, too, is I've never seen anywhere before in my life to experience politics and health all in one topic, but then also the individual belief versus the better collective. And so what when I mean by that in, in those observations, I've really started to learn about that is, for example... You know, it is so clear here, like people are so proud to say, I refuse to vaccinate. I refuse to get tested. That is an infringement on my civil right. For me that grew up in a collective, socially collective system where it's like, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do for the greater good. Let's protect our community. And by protecting our community, we protect ourselves. And it's very much, you know, Canada, peace, order, and good government, United States, life, liberty, and the pursuit you know, and just that aggression of what I have to say is, is my right to say it, despite the consequences of what happens. And so we see that in the healthcare system, in social services, how people respond, and they're so scared fighting for those resources. And in this case, at the time when the pandemic began, it was testing, 
we didn't know what we were fighting against. And I came from the perspective, and I'm very passionate about it through and through, is the front line in healthcare. And, and that's where I was at the time of the beginning of the pandemic. And I was in a supervision role at that time. And the team that was around me and support our efforts to serve people, they were on the front line helping people, had no idea what we were fighting against, wearing hazmat suits, being separated from their own families, unable to go home or having to quarantine away from home. Yeah. And we had no idea. But almost two years later, we're in a point now where there's a little bit of assurance because if you did choose to vaccinate and you chose to go with the booster, the difference with the states is how fast those resources came because the production is actually here in this country versus the battle of the border and getting those resources to other countries. And here you found people were throwing away Pfizer and Moderna because there was not enough people to vaccinate because you're also fighting that fear of a vaccination. Yeah. That was not quote unquote made too fast. It's, it is a logistical mind boggle getting the jabs into the arms. Yeah. That kind of a logistical situation, you know, you're going to have some spoilage like in any yes. industry. Yes. Not everything, you're not going to have 100% efficiency. But to think that this vaccine, that the data so far looks like it's a good thing. Yes. Yes. is just getting wasted because people are refusing now. And people are willing to lose their jobs for here in the United States, very much in, in the hospitals You in New York State. You're mandated. You must vaccinate or we're parting ways. We're seeing staff lose their job. This is also now recently. And I can't say thank you enough to the people that you work with and all the people that are the front line out right. in the community, helping people that need help, seniors, people with different issues that need support. Yes. It's just so important that work. And that is the real community. That's what's got people through the pandemic. And we had so many pandemics before the COVID pandemic. We did. Structural inequality, income inequality, environmental degradation, inequality. There was a chill on social justice and community building, it seemed, during those initial lockdowns. But then the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement yes. and the climate change movement has risen up again. There seems that this, the civil society is back at work trying to negotiate where we're going to leave the pandemic. Are we going to leave it with more of the same or are we going to really have a political cultural renaissance. That's going to be interesting. What do you think? Historically, if you just look at major at major times in different centuries, these kind of pandemics shifted everything culturally, artistically, news-wise, literature, pro- any kind of media or any kind of exposure. Things have changed after such a shift in the question of existence and how something we can't see has has destroyed so much in terms of what your viewpoint is of who is important. What job is more important during a pandemic? The most of us are in that working class where we had to work for our money and we have to make serious choices as you know, like having families and responsibilities. And then for those that lead us through through situations like this, you're having to trust people in leadership that are guiding the population and it's a blind faith. And you're now seeing the turnaround of, I don't trust you just because you're the leader, right? I don't trust you because you're the president or the prime minister. Look what's happened. And I think no matter what, through this whole pandemic, it will always be that we never did enough to prevent it. Because how do you know what you're fighting against if you've never dealt with it before? But history shows that we have, but it's, I don't know if it's our audacity as humans to think we were invisible to this. 
and our technologies could keep up with it. And I, I know we're not through it yet. Yeah. But yeah. What could we have done? Could we have a more equitable food supply? Could we have a healthier relationship with the earth? Could we have a healthier relationship with ourselves and right. people around us? For me, for me, I think if we could take a look at this and where things that were more, more important, and I think those that know you and I and have been friends with me over the years and, and worked by my side is the emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence of our children of adults, of, of staff that work in teams that have to work together for one cause, the emotional intelligence we have, it, you're seeing, like, look at the heaviness that everyone's dealing with right now. It is so heavy. And you're seeing people unable to cope in everyday situations, like waiting in a grocery line, waiting through a drive through line, you're seeing instant violence or aggression. And, and Anger. you're seeing that desperation in people. They're just, everyone is so exhausted. Of, of the overwhelming sense of loss and fear. And that's for me, I'm like, if we had the emotional intelligence and we set up our curriculums in schools for children to look at mental health, to look at coping, to look at working together collectively and understanding empathy, truly teaching that at a young age, but still incorporating that in all systems at work, at home, and in school to understand how we can work together, how we understand one another. I just, I watch people now in their vulnerability and it's something that makes me passionate, but it also makes me very cautious for my own, my own health, you know, of how much can I truly, we all saw those images on the news with frontline workers, nurses, doctors, sleeping on hallways, sleeping in floors. We live that. I, I actually lived through that. And I have to say, I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't in the worst of it, but I certainly lived that endurance with my teams. It's one thing that I, if anything that I learned from that, like just the, the perspective that's shown in media for the pandemic, I will guarantee you not a single person on that front line wants to be called a hero because that's not why we choose to do this kind of work. We want to go home too. When we, we also have personal issues too. We also have our own health to matter. And suddenly that position got really amplified during the pandemic you know, in order to recognize people, you know, we were calling people doing their jobs heroes. For me, that was the worst thing I, you could have told me at that time. There was nothing heroic about, about the sacrifices that I was watching, you know, the fellow person beside me working side by side, supporting others that were more vulnerable than us. I didn't want to be called a hero because I wanted to go home too. And I was fighting those battles of my own selfishness of wanting to protect myself and my family versus servicing someone that is that more vulnerable in our community. And they had no awareness of what this pandemic was it's because intense. of their previous disabilities. Yeah. And so like for me, it was emotional intelligence about how to handle something so catastrophic, you know, because our compassion, you're seeing some amazing things. You're hearing some amazing interviews that you like the people that I've listened to on your show. Like it's everyone's got that individual story about what this took from them or what it gave them. Kaboom. You know? As if that wasn't enough to keep someone busy, you had to start crossing the border throughout the pandemic yes. because of a loved one's health. Can my you... father, and it did, it very much happened at the time of lockdown. Both my parents, my mother had a stroke just prior to lockdown in 2020. And I actually brought her home the week before we had knowledge, there was whispers from the border that they're going to lock the borders down at that time. Who would have thought that? So there was that, you know, like that, oh, I don't believe it. But I, for me, I truly believed it. And so I remember picking up my mom from the hospital to, as she was discharged from her stroke and I brought her home. And I remember we both remained masked and I hugged her and I said, mom, I'm not quite sure when the next time I can see you is, but I will look, I will find you every single day. And she cried 
because she's like, what do you mean? You can just come through the border because this is what our life has been since I moved here. I just come through the border, not a problem. But this time I, she didn't understand. And she, my parents already were at that point of in the aging process where cognitively things just don't make sense anymore. And so at that time too, at the border, it was absolutely, I will say a nightmare. Policies and regulations were changing every couple of days. You know, websites, call-in systems were not up updated with the most updated information. And I was put in a position where I was very aware my, my father was, was quite ill and it just progressed through that time. And unfortunately I got that phone call that no one wants that my mother said I had to come home and the ICU attending physician said it, it's coming close to time and we should put our affairs in order and address family because my dad is not stable. And to get through the border at that time, I had to apply for what was called compassionate entry. And so, and it was for the purposes of a Canadian citizen that was uh, at the end of life stage. And so I had to apply for it. I had to fill out these forms. And wow. the anxiety for me was the wait. Every minute after that phone call, I had to wait to see if I could actually come through despite still being, I'm a permanent resident. I'm not actually immigrant, like in becoming a citizen. I'm too proud for my Canadian heritage. I, I just want to remain <laughs> that Canadian in America. I had to wait even as a Canadian citizen, but I was told at the border, I could come through because it's my right, because it's my home. However, I risk local authorities pulling me over, being brought to court for not coming through the proper procedure of quarantine and at that time, there was no vaccinations. So it was, yeah. you know, and testing. And the nightmare was, was a PCR, you know, who, what, what was a PCR? And then was a rapid okay. So these are communications that were not clear. Despite, yeah. I, I'd like to think I'm technologically advanced where I can check websites and find the information. And it was so heartbreaking to have, I had to turn around twice at the border to get what I needed to get properly. And I lost time. And so emotionally, I was a wreck because I'm like, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to lose daddy and I won't be there. I just have to say, your father is one <laughs> of the luckiest guys to have such an amazing daughter who goes through all that rigmarole in the middle of a yep. pandemic to come back, to be with the family unit, yeah. to do that sacred time in the family life cycle. Yeah. To some degree, I hear the headache and the frustration of, okay, I came to the border. I had everything they said I needed. Now I got to go get something else. Yes. And multiple times, but I guess we're still somewhat lucky. And your story is so united humanity in the sense that the one of the biggest undefended borders in the world during the pandemic, still had compassion and still had compassion for people to play by the rules and follow public health to let your family have this this time together. Wow. It was a horrible parallel because I recognize that the officers are human, too. And, you know, like, I mean, you could tell the communication wasn't getting to them properly when they were on guard right there, you yeah. know, so yeah. it it. I was frustrated because I was trying to have that pat patience as much as frustrated and emotionally overwhelmed that I was. And the interesting thing too, once I crossed, I, you know, when I looked at policies, I wouldn't, I was not allowed to cross back to the United States, for example, to get more clothes or to bring my husband back to Canada to see my father. He wasn't allowed to come at that time, despite it not, it had to be immediate family that were allowed to cross at that point. It was really strict, like hospitals, yes. you can only have one caretaker. Yes. And, you know, the father's allowed in for the birth, but then get out. Yes. I, I had to take some training, actually, once I got to the hospital in order to be actually allowed in the ICU unit. And then it was also really tough, too, because at every single visit, I was reminded that at any point of COVID broke out, I could not reenter the hospital despite my father's status. And 
you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like a border cannot keep me away from my father or my mother. Walls will not keep me. I'm like, and I said, either you work with me or I'm going to find a way in here. You are not separating me from my parent. I will not get this time back. You yeah. know, so I was, they kind of saw, and again, compassion from the nurses, from the health personnel that were training me um, to be part of the care team. So I could be entering the hospital and wear a badge and, and help them so yeah. they can help the other patients that don't yes. have anyone there. Yes. Yes. And I, I just, I don't think I could live the rest of my days knowing my dad, I wasn't there. Right. I, yeah. I don't think I could have forgiven myself. And that that's what just gave me the absolute endurance to not give up despite what was going on at that time. I, I tell a lot of my, my friends here that are in the States, I'm like, I wish you could experience a couple of days in, in the Canadian healthcare system where we know it's far from perfect. And, you know, I mean, at my previous job in Canada, you know, the ongoing thing was, you know, if we had to go to the hospital there, you know, there's your next 12 hours in waiting, you know, but I didn't have to question if my family was going to become bankrupt after a medical bill from the hospital. Yeah. That is not a worry as a Canadian that you would have to worry about. In most cases, I'm sure there's exceptions Thank you know, that to the rule. But that's the thing. Imagine if you had cancer, your people are paying for their chemo here. They have to, it has, the insurance has to approve the chemo. Well, you see on reports, I've seen on news reports how Americans come into Canada because life-saving drugs like insulin are so much cheaper. Yeah, you're, and then again, it's like you're questioning people that are not necessarily medical professionals themselves making ultimate health decisions. I truly believe you need someone that can guide you, um, especially through the healthcare system, through health needs. And people are ultimately making decisions that could actually impact their life because they can't afford to the care that they actually are supposed to be receiving. So that, I mean, it makes me pretty passionate. I, I was questioning remaining in healthcare when I came to the States, but I, I can't say I'm glad I, I, I took my job, but I think it was necessary for me to, to go through this. I believe firmly in everything teaches us something. I mean, the pandemic to my life, I can't say I can't say, oh, this has been wonderful. <laughs> I don't think anyone can say that. Uh, but I will never, this has absolutely marked my life because there's so many, like my father did die through the pandemic and I'm still grieving and I'm still processing through that even after, and we're still in this, you know, where, you know, like I'm my mother, I'm bringing her home tomorrow back to Canada and we had to take PCR tests today. Once the borders opened up in November for um, free travel with the guidelines, I just took it as that opportunity. I was separated with them from them, Dave, through the entire pandemic. And I worked through it as well, too. And I just, I can't get that time back. And so now I'm willing to work with the system as it is because of the collective good. We do refrain from going, we, at the time, we were refraining from going to Canada a lot because we knew we were in a city where the cases in this county were astronomical, that we were running out of beds. And I can say we're almost there again right now a year later we're lucky and you mentioned it earlier we're all living by the decisions we made and and those of us who went out and got the double jab got yeah. dosed on the vax yeah. the data seems to say that we're a lot less likely to end up in the hospital with serious health problems klp you've helped me in so many ways over the years especially <laughs> with helping me channel my creative energies into poetry. I'm so proud of you, my friend. And getting me into the, your interview with Sarah Harmer, which was fantastic. What a talented <laughs> performer she is. I would like to take this opportunity to show my gratitude by, by reading 
Pandemic Blossom. Inspired by a blossoming Christmas cactus and news from Sarah Harmer that Mount Nemo was once again up for possible development. Pandemic Blossom, inspired by Sarah Harmer, dedicated to KLP, our guest (laughs) here today on the Pandemic Show. Reach towards the sunlight of your potential. Grow to the light of your interests. Creep like a toad through the rustling leaves, following the calls of your dreams. Be thankful for the bounty of trust, hard work, and fellowship. Reach for those loved ones around you. Reach right through the microphone, camera, speaker, and screen. Follow the moonlight to the garden of your imagination. Know it's right to love the trees, wetlands, aquifers, rolling hills of the range, to the peaks of Mount Nemo, to protect our wild places together, even apart. Our role as Earth's protector is clear. Thank you. It is clear. I loved it. I'm so proud of you. I'm, I'm so happy that you have really, you, you are actually one of the reasons why I am returning back to a format. In a couple of months, I'll be returning back to, to the microphone through a podcast. Kaboom! But you were the one. You here first, people <laughs> of the pandemic. KLP <laughs> will continue to work to unite humanity on an art project. KLP, tell us all about it. This Well, Dave, it was from the original show that you always came on when we were back in Radio Waterloo Land. And you were my guest. And you, I'll never forget your 24-hour dance marathon that you came on to my morning show. And you danced through the entire interview. <laughs> One of my happiest memories in broadcasting was you dancing that entire interview. And keeping your cadence on the microphone, too, was impressive. But I through this whole experience and actually being inspired by you trying to connect people through the pandemic when it was so painful for so many, I said, you know what, see how Dave is continuing to roll and trying to find ways to connect people together that we're not alone. I know that sounds so cliche, but I can't express it more. Um, And I decided that, you know, the avenue that I want to go is to return back to that relationship with the interview and just having that engaging conversation with somebody. And I'll be still calling it what I, my original show, the Sideshow Continuum, but it will be a podcast. And, you know, I've already connected with friends back in the KW region that are going to help me out in terms of writing some music for it. And I, my goal is to cocoon this winter and write for the podcast and bring themes like this. And I sure hope you're, you're not going to be a stranger to that format. I'd love to interview you on that show. I, I, you know, I'm ready for the sideshow continuum. I'm back. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited, especially for Buffalo music. I am starting to discover so many amazing musicians that I really didn't have the time when I was first moved here or through the pandemic. But through meeting people through this, I had people have talked to me and I knew it was time to come back to the mic because I am reaching out and meeting local musicians that I can't wait to share with people on interviews. And so that's why I'm like, this, this has to happen. I think up to the point when I first started in radio about almost 20 years ago, I had lived a certain chapter of my life and I needed to leave everything to kind of live again and just experience life, pay attention to myself, my health, my, the happiness for my future. And I fell in love, got married, moved to a different city. And I'm learning so much more experience of just a different community. And I can't wait to share that with people. Well, that really puts a smile on my face, KLP, to know <laughs> that the Sideshow Continuum 
music and art project as a as a fan is is something I have to look forward to in 2022 because the new years it's almost like the countdown to the new years is on and that's just it with the cultural renaissance that's coming I believe the pandemic so. and the return yes. of the sideshow continuum in 2022 I think it's the horizon, time baby I think the horizon is bright and I can't thank you enough for coming and joining us here today on the pandemic show I'm so glad we had this time, my friend. Thanks for listening to The Pandemic Show. We're all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Physically distance with us at pandemishow.com. Be a part of our community by subscribing to and sharing The Pandemic Show. Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, or promote us on social media. Pandemic Show is on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. Stories from the pandemic for the people of the pandemic. Do you have an interesting pandemic story and want to share? Email us at pandemishow at gmail.com. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to Giant Value for singing us in and letting us know everything is going to be all right. No one is alone at the pandemic show.